Hello and welcome to Through the Bible with Les Feldick, an inspirational and informative half hour of insight into the heart of Scripture. In addition to teaching the Bible, Les is a full-time rancher, having a down-to-earth practical teaching style that makes the Bible come to life. All programs are available on audio tape, videotape, and in printed form. At the end of the program, there will be an address where you can contact the ministry. And now, here's Les Feldick with today's lesson. Okay, it's good to have everybody back with us again. And uh, for those of you out in television, you may wonder why I mean back with us is because we take a break after every 30-minute segment. And uh, while the camera crews get ready for another one, we have a coffee break. And consequently, you see the coffee cups. And uh, we just have a good time of fellowship all afternoon. And if you're ever coming through Tulsa, we'd love to have you come in and be a part of this taping session. But please call us so that we're sure to be here when you are. Galatians chapter 2 now, as we remember, this little letter was written primarily to straighten out the false teaching that had come into Paul's churches that he had started with the false teaching of law-keeping and circumcision plus Paul's gospel of grace. And now here we are, as we saw in our last program, uh, some 22 years after Pentecost, in about A.D. 51, and I hope I made the point that he says we communicated. In other words, they didn't just flippantly say, well, this is what we believe. But they sat down and they looked at it point by point, line upon line. Because, you see, these revelations that came through the Apostle Paul are, are so beyond, above and beyond Judaism that it took some time for these people to understand where he was coming from. And those of you who remember my teaching back in Romans 1.16, where Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it, the gospel, is the power of God unto, what's the next word? Salvation. And what does salvation imply, according to Paul's teaching? It's that whole body of truth that involves justification, sanctification, forgiveness, redeemed, baptized into the body of Christ, indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And you can just go on and on and on. These are all new revelations that you won't find until you get to Paul. You don't find that taught in the Old Testament. You don't find the Old Testament believer told, the Spirit dwelleth within you, do you? No, it's not back there. And except for Abraham, of course, but you don't see the Jews told you're justified by faith and faith alone and you've been bought with a price. No, all of this has to be, of course, after the cross and the resurrection had been completed. So he communicated carefully, line upon line, precept upon precept, this gospel or that gospel, I should say, which Paul says... I preach among the what people? The Gentiles. Now, why does the Holy Spirit prompt the man to use the word that? Well, to signify the difference between Paul's gospel and what Peter and Jesus and the eleven had been teaching to Israel. Now, you've heard me over the last umpteen programs make the comment that Jesus and the Twelve were operated under the gospel of the kingdom. And the gospel of the kingdom was just simply that the king is here, 
He is ready to set up the kingdom offered to Israel since Abraham was given the covenant. And that was the whole scope of that kingdom message, that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ, the Messiah of Israel. But now you see the gospel of grace is that this same Messiah of Israel who was crucified, shed his blood, was buried, and rose from the dead is the Savior not just of Israel, but of the whole human race. Not to those who keep the law, not to those who do something, but to those who simply what? Believe. Oh, that's a whole new concept. And these Jews couldn't comprehend it. And so they have to bring Paul to Jerusalem. And the Lord, of course, instructs him. All right, now let's move on. So he says, I communicated unto them that gospel, which I preached amongst the Gentiles. But privately, in other words, they probably had a little small ante room where just the leaders of, of the Jerusalem church were meeting now with Paul and Barnabas. But privately to them who were of reputation. Now read that slowly. If you're going to have a general meeting, a, a conference, and then you're going to meet with those who had the reputation, well, what group of people are you talking about? Well, the leadership. The leadership. And that would include Peter and the eleven and maybe a few of the other Jewish elders in that church. And so they were in more or less a, an, an anteroom by themselves first as Paul was delineating that gospel which I'm preaching to those Gentiles and it leaves out circumcision and law-keeping. Ooh, oh, they couldn't see that. All right, now let's move on. Verse 3, But neither Titus, who was evidently with Paul and Barnabas now, who was with me, and a Greek, a Gentile, one of his converts, you know, up there in his missionary journeys. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled or forced to be circumcised. Now, at least they held him at bay long enough for that, that they weren't going to try and bring Titus under circumcision in order to be a part and parcel of this great council meeting. Now then, verse 4. And because of false brethren unawares, now what's the next two words? Brought in. They didn't sneak in. The leaders, no doubt, had something to do with it because they were brought in. Now, that's why I'm a stickler for every word. Now, if that word brought wasn't in there, then I could say, well, yeah, Peter wasn't aware of these people, but I think he was. Because somebody was influential in bringing these people into this great council meeting of the Jewish believers at Jerusalem to confront Paul and Barnabas. And you can include Titus if you like. But it's predominantly against Paul and Barnabas. All right? So these false brethren were brought in unawares. Unaware. Now there's another scripture that uses that same word. And come back to the word Jude, the little book of Jude. <clears throat> the little letter of one chapter just in front of Revelation. The little book of Jude. And so you see, when false teaching slips in to a congregation or to a denomination, it's nothing new. 
It's nothing new. My, the, the writers of Scripture were already aware of it, see? The little letter of Jude, down to verse 3 and 4. Just in front of Revelation, in case you're having trouble finding it. Jude, only one chapter long, so it's verse 3 and 4. Beloved, he writes, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered to the saints. Now verse 4. Because, or 4, <clears throat> there are certain men, not a lot of them, but enough of them, there are certain men crept in how? Unawares. See, a false teacher will never come into your church. He'll never come into your denomination and say, okay, folks, I'm going to give you a little poison to go along with the good stuff. Oh, yeah, he wouldn't do that. He's not that crazy. So what does he do? He comes in like perfectly sanctioned. He's got all the credentials, but he's a false teacher. And this has been a warning from day one. All right, read on. There are certain men crept in, that is, into the midst of the congregation, unaware, secretly, without people knowing what they are, who were before of old. In other words, God in His foreknowledge knew what they were going to do. And that's why He's warning the believer to be careful. For they have crept in, they were before of old, ordained to this condemnation, God's condemnation. And what kind of men are they in reality? They're ungodly. And they're turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Sound familiar? Sure it does. Sure it does. And yet the gullible whole just can't see the difference. And that's what they are. They're gullible. Oh, these men may sound as though they've got all the answers. They may be polished. They may be like an Apollos. And they may have a knowledge that would make me look what I really am, just an uneducated cowman. But they're false teachers, and they are leading people astray. Now come back to Galatians, and you'll see that same, same word. And they're using the same modus operandi. They'll bring false teachers in without the whole knowing who they are. And look what they do. They came in privately or secretly to spy out our what? Liberty. Now, what do you suppose Paul is talking about when he says liberty? Well, that he was no longer, or Barnabas, or Titus in particular, that they were under the demands of the Mosaic law. They were set at liberty from that. Now, I don't want to get risque, but we've got to face facts as to how life was back in these days. Not every home had a private shower and a bathroom. Some of them did, but not all of them. So where did most people keep their, their, their fleshly cleanliness? Well, in public baths. Public baths. Well, now, 
when these Jews would go to these public baths and here is an uncircumcised Gentile such as Titus, you think they're blind? Why, they could pick it out in a minute. See? In fact, this is another reason that back in the ancients, at the time of, of the early church and, and before, the Jews did not like to really take place, uh, take part in the Olympics because a lot of the Olympics were run totally naked. And what did they do? They were marked men. See? And so this is the whole idea here that these Jews were going to slip in and spy on Paul and Barnabas, especially in their relationship with Titus, who was a Gentile, to check out and make sure that they were practicing circumcision. They probably watched how they ate. Are they eating kosher? And it was all done to just submarine the apostle and sink him. That's all they're trying to do. They want to sink him. They want him to be absolutely put out of business rather than go out to the Gentiles with the message that he's been preaching. All right, read on. And so they came in secretly to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they, these Judaizers, although most of them now are believers in Christ as the Messiah, they're kingdom believers, if I may use that term. But what are they going to try and do? They want to bring Paul back under bondage, which means what? The law. They actually wanted Paul to say, Okay, fellas, you win. You win. I'll go back to my congregations and I'll just tell them, Okay, folks, I've had it all wrong. I'm sorry. I've been teaching you wrong. I guess we're going to have to give in. Go ahead. Practice your circumcision if that's what you want to do. Go ahead and keep the dietary laws. Keep the laws of Moses because, after all, I was wrong. Oh, ho. that's not Paul. Now, let's read on. Verse 5. Now, the real Paul stands up. And he says, to whom? That is, the leaders of the Jerusalem congregation. To whom we gave place by subjection. Now, you know what that means? Pressure. Paul was under pressure from these Jerusalem leaders to get rid of this idea that your converts don't have to keep the law of Moses. And so he says, we did not give in to that subjection. No, not for an hour. He didn't even weaken. He never even had any second thoughts that he was going to give up. No, he says, not for an hour. Why? Now watch this. Paul did not give in to all that pressure for one purpose. And what was it? That the truth of the gospel may continue with you. Now, he's writing to Gentiles, remember. And he's rehearsing what he went through. And what was the purpose? That Gentiles could continue to literally revel in the grace of God without being weighed down with all of the burdens of law-keeping. Now, you want to remember, religion, any kind of a religion is a burden. That's why most of your, of your Oriental religions in particular that I'm thinking of, their whole format for keeping people under their thumb is superstition. They keep people scared to death that if they don't do exactly what their religion commands, 
hey, they're in trouble. And that you bring it into any kind of a, of a legalistic system. They keep people under their thumb. And that's not freedom. All right, now let's turn. <clears throat> we'll be here in a few weeks or maybe a few months. I don't know. <clears throat> but come over to chapter 5 in Galatians, if you will. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. And this is what he's talking about, <clears throat> that we would never have to give up a verse like this. All got it? Galatians 5, verse 1. And here's the admonition. Stand fast, unmovable, in the liberty, the freedom, <clears throat> wherewith Christ in His finished work and power of resurrection, <clears throat> wherewith Christ hath made us, what? Free. See that? Not under bondage. We have liberty. We've been set free. And he said, be not entangled again with what? That yoke of bondage. That's what the law was. The law was a legal yoke of bondage. Oh, I've said it before on the program. Judaism. And when I speak of Judaism, we were talking about a break time. I hope you all understand what I'm talking about. <clears throat> Judaism, of course, was the religion of Christ's day and to the, pretty much the extent of Orthodox Jewry today. But what were the roots of Judaism? Well, the pure Mosaic and Levitical law that you had back there in the time of Moses. But the religion degenerated, see? And as they came up through the centuries and the rabbis began to make comments on the various portions of the Old Testament, and it just gradually became watered down from its original purity. And I'm not saying this with, with any criticism of the present-day Jewish uh, religion, but truth is truth. And so it had degenerated down to a religion, and that's why Paul called it that in chapter 1, at the time of Christ, and it was no longer resting on the Ten Commandments and the Torah, but it had become 613 rules and regulations. That's what Judaism had become. Now, can you imagine living 24 hours a day under the constant pressure of 613 rules? Well, you didn't hardly take a breath and you'd break one of them. And yet they had to be scared to death of what the religion would demand of them if they broke one of these 613 commandments. All right. Now, Paul, this is what he's saying. We've been set free from all that. Now, read on a little further in Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. One of my favorite verses. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, and oh, what beautiful language. What beautiful language. I hope the new versions don't take this out. I hope they leave it just like it is. Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. And again, it's this same apostle writing to the same kind of believers, Gentiles up there in Asia Minor. Look what he says. Blotting out the handwriting of 
ordinances. Now, what do you suppose that was? 613 of them. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. See that? It was contrary to us. In other words, there was no freedom because human nature was always bumping them. It was contrary to us. And He took it out of the way. And how did Christ take it out of our whole system? Nailing it to His cross. See, that finished it. The cross was the end of the law. And we must never forget that. And yet, this is why so much of our preaching and teaching is in that area before the cross. And that's why they can hang on to all this legalism. That's why they can hang on to all the strings and the commandments. Because they are not recognizing that the cross completely finished it. The Lord nailed those things to the cross. Yes, including the ten. Including the ten. And we're not under their, their binding power. No, we're under their moral, absolutely. We still live under the moral code of the ten. I will never take that away. And Paul makes it. In fact, let me show you. Come back to Romans chapter 13. It's so obvious that, that they still have a valid role in our Christian experience. But it's not a religious dogma. Romans chapter 13. <coughs> Verse 8 and 9. Romans 13, verses 8 and 9. Y'all there? I don't want to go until you find it because I know uh, people in their living rooms have to look it up too and they more or less go by what I see here. Romans 13, verse 8 and 9. Where Paul says, O man, owe no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another has, past tense, already fulfilled the law. All right. The work of the cross was love. It was love epitomized. It was God's love for mankind that nailed Him to the cross. And as a result, He fulfilled the demands of the law. But, now look what the next verse says. For this, through the love fulfilling of the law, for this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. And if there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's obvious enough, isn't it? But it's not a legalistic, pressurized system Whereby we have to say, oh, I don't dare do that. No, I can't do that. The law is against it. No, we've been set free. Now, that's not license. How many times have I said that over the last few years? That's not license. Because as soon as we come under this law of love, we no longer want to break these commandments. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit who directs our thinking and our actions. Now, that's not to say we're going to be sinless. We're not going to be perfect. We're human. And as long as we're in the flesh, we're still going to fail. But the Lord has made provision for that. All right. Now, then, if you'll come back quickly for just a little moment yet in Galatians chapter 2. 
And again, I want to look at verse 5. Before we go on to verse 6, we'll do that in the next half hour. Come back to Galatians chapter 2 and again let verse 5 just sink into your thinking. Paul is under pressure to give up this gospel of grace and add law-keeping and circumcision. But he says, we gave place, no, not for an hour. Today, I guess we'd say not for a minute that the truth of the gospel, that is, Paul's gospel, might continue with you. Now, beloved, stop and think. What if Paul would have given up? Thank you for joining us again for Through the Bible with Les Feldick. If you'd like to order audio tapes, videos, or any of our printed material, you may do so by writing Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. That's Les Feldick Ministries, Route 1, Box 760, Kenta, Oklahoma, 74552. Or you can call us toll-free if you'd like at 1-800-369-7856. That's one 800 3697856 Remember this is a faith ministry and your participation with us is greatly appreciated Again our address is Les Feldick Ministries Route 1 Box 760 Kenta Oklahoma 74552 and our phone is 1-800-369-7856 Thanks again for listening and please join us next time for Through the Bible with Les Feldick